I have, I have been thinking about what I want to share with you this morning. You know, we're still in the beginning of the year. We're still, some of us, reflecting on last year. And, and I'm asking you to sit before we read the scripture because I want you to follow along with me throughout, throughout this, this thought process that, that I want to share with you. And before I even get into the word, I, I want to thank Pastor Anthony and, and Bishop because they have entrusted us with this new role. And I always remember my old, my old pastor that, that was pastoring, pastoring me when I gave my life to the Lord. And he used to say, when there was a new role added to your life, he used to say, I'm the same donkey with a bigger load. And, and I, wanna, I, want to, I want to say that's how I feel. I, I love this church. I love the Lord. And my family and I have been serving here for quite some time. And we just love you guys. We love you. And we want you to know that if there's ever anything that we can do to help to serve you, that is our joy, to be able to help you and serve you. And, and we, we do that when you open your home and you say, come and have a cup of coffee with us. We're there. We're there. So we, I just want to say that I, I'm overjoyed to be a part of this church and be part of what God is doing in this, in this hour, in this season. I'm excited about what's going on here in this church. I'm excited to see what God is doing in you, through you, and everything that's going to follow. Um, so there as you're seated, I want to just tell you a quick story. There was a couple that was splitting up, and, and they were standing before the judge waiting for a decision on custody of their son. The judge said he's going to award him to his father. And the son said, please, judge, do not give me to my father. He beats me. And he's like, all right, well, then I guess I'm going to give you to your mother. It's like, judge, don't do that because my mother beats me too. So the judge says, all right, son, what do you want me to do? He said, you know what? Give me to the Dallas Cowboys because they don't beat anybody. <laughs> they don't beat anybody. <laughs> and I'm going to hear from some of you. Hopefully it doesn't come back to bite me later, but... I got people who never stand and praise the Lord. I just stood up right now in protest. My goodness. My goodness. Never seen you stand up and praise God like that, but you stand up to protest. All right. Open your Bibles and follow along with me. In the second letter from Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You can follow in whatever version that you have. It goes as follows. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And jump over to verse 6 with me. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we are not destroyed. With the help of the Lord, I want to share a thought with you this morning called challenged, but not defeated. We are challenged, but not defeated. Here Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. It's a vibrant church, but a church with a lot of issues. He wrote his first letter, which he refers to in, in this letter, as one that he has, quote, written with many tears. Because he gives them an earful in that letter. Go back and read 1 Corinthians and you'll see that Paul, you can hear the tone of his words in that letter. As a matter of fact, he delays visiting them because of the harshness of that first letter. But during the second letter, they, they, they are coming around to accepting Paul. But there's still a group in that church who challenge 
his authority. You know the type. They think they know more than the pastor. Oh, the pastor should be doing this. I don't know why the leaders are doing it. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably you. Simply, it's, it's sometimes people just don't like correction. It's, it's part of our nature. We don't like to be corrected. But by the time he writes this second letter, he's writing them to encourage them during some very, very difficult times. Some very difficult times. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, he makes this first statement. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry. Say it with me. We have this ministry. You are officially called to ministry. If you did not know that yet, I want to, I want to let you know that right now. As soon as you accept the Lord as your Savior, as soon as you come up out of those waters, as soon as you are filled with His Spirit, you are officially dispatched, ordained into ministry. I'm not talking about a license. I'm not talking about some ordination. What I'm talking about is that you're called into a ministry to serve somebody else. You're called to do something. Now, next week, as Pastor was talking about, it's the ministry fair. You're going to plug in, and you're going to find out, what can I do? Why? Because as Paul said, we are called to this ministry. You're called to do something. All right, that commercial is over. How many of you get to be here for the ministry fair next week? You're going to plug in. You're going to sign up. You're going to do something. Since, and it's, it goes on to say, since we have received mercy we have received mercy this is a news flash for somebody nobody deserves anything good from God none of us deserve anything good from God none of us are qualified to be in ministry on our own it is all simply because of his mercy see we love his grace we love his grace. What does that mean? When God blesses you when you don't deserve it. We love his grace. We love to celebrate that grace. I can receive this and I receive that. We love his grace. But sometimes we struggle with recognizing mercy. Why? Because mercy is not the same thing as grace. Grace is he gives you something you don't deserve. But mercy is when God does not give you what you do deserve. Why is that more difficult? Because in order for you to recognize mercy, you have to recognize how sinful you are in your nature. In order for you to accept mercy, you have to recognize your shortcomings. You have to acknowledge the fact that you don't have it all together. Grace is fun. Grace is, is exciting. It's when you get into the praise and you're feeling the grace. God has blessed me. God give me more. God give me that promotion. God give me everything that I want. That's grace. I love his grace. But mercy. Now you look in the mirror you have to admit. Sometimes what they've said behind your back has been true. That doesn't make it right but it's been true. So mercy is a little harder to recognize. And Paul says, we, not just me, but we are called into ministry. Why? Because of his mercy. One reason and one reason only. As we have received mercy, then he goes on to say, we don't lose heart. We don't get discouraged. Now, let's jump to verse Seven, the first part of verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The NIV says, this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure in jars of clay. What does that mean? It means that God has chosen imperfect, unqualified, a messed up dude to fulfill the calling of God. And you have to wrap your mind around this. You wouldn't choose you for a calling. 
you would not select you because you know you. And God being perfect in his holiness, being omniscient, knowing absolutely everything, including what you thought this morning, including what you thought here during this service. He knows everything about you, yet he calls you. That within in itself is a miracle. And Paul says he's using his, for his treasure earthly vessels. It doesn't make any sense to him. Half the time, you don't even know if you're coming or if you're going. Yet, he chooses to deposit his treasure in this type of vessel. It's not logical. But how many of you know that when God works, he never uses logic? As a matter of fact, he goes against all logic. The one who is not qualified is the one he qualifies. The one that shouldn't be called is the one he calls. The one that doesn't deserve mercy is the one he gives mercy to. The one that never deserves grace is the one he gives grace to. It's always the one that's least qualified. The one that you would never pick that God selects. As a matter of fact, we're reading about the Apostle Paul. What was his role before he was saved? He was a murderer of Christians. The least qualified person. You're telling me that for the ministry to write one-third of the New Testament, God's going to select a murderer of Christians? Now we know it after the fact, but go back and think about it. Would you select Paul? As a matter of fact, if you read the scripture in the book of Acts, it talks about when Paul was first called by Jesus on the, on the road to Damascus, and he sends, us to the, sends them to the house of Ananias. People are like, wait a minute. Paul? Or Saul, as he was called? You want me to go pray for him? And he starts to, to think, wait a minute, God. I, I don't think you get this. You must be calling the wrong guy. I could tell you 10 other people who are more qualified, more deserving, have more merit, have a better background, more qualifications. The resume looks a lot better than this guy named Saul. But when God calls, he qualifies the unqualified. And when you start to think you have it all together and God has called you, you got to remember, if he called you, it's because you probably weren't good to begin with. How is that for bursting somebody's self-esteem bubble? Oh, I'm so good, God called me. He says here that he calls you unworthy, so what does that leave you and me? And he says, we have this treasure in earthly vessels. He is in the business of transforming lives, of saving lives through imperfect vessels. Why does he do that? If you wouldn't do that, if I wouldn't do that, why does he do that? I'm glad you asked. The second part of that verse 7 says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What does that mean? You can't take credit for it. Everybody who knew you before you were saved, before you got that nice little trim on your haircut, before you wore that nice little suit, the people who knew you before, they will know it's not because of him. God is doing something through you and it says it's because he wants them to know that it's because of the power of God and not because of us. God moves through you, it's not because of you. It's that the excellence of the power may be of God and not in us. See, one of the problems with people is that when things get tough, we want to quit. Have you ever felt that way? When things get tough, you want to quit. There's seasons in life when it just seems like everything is going wrong. You get through one issue and there's another issue waiting. You pay one bill, but guess what? There's another. You finally resolve that family drama. And there goes that cousin, that aunt, the uncle, does something again. Like, oh, if he would just, just behave himself for 30 days. You know, you already have someone in mind. You know you have some, If you don't have someone in mind, it might be you. 
But you get over one situation, and here it comes again. You know the feeling? You go to work, and there's this drama at work. You come home, and there's this drama at home. You can't even go to the grocery store without somebody cutting in front of you. And it's like your, your car has this beam on it, and everybody says, see that car? Go cut that guy off. He likes it. And then they cut you off, and because they, they think so highly of you, they always give you a sign that you're number one. <laughs> but it seems to begin, I, I heard a late laugh right there. It took you a little bit. <laughs> God bless you, brother. That means you're more innocent than the rest of them. But things begin to just pile up. It never, it's never just one thing. But things begin to pile up and you feel the pressure. But you know what? Paul gets it. He gets it. Look what he says in verse 8. And here's the first point. He says, we are hard pressed on every side. We are hard pressed on every side. The word pressed here means to be afflicted. Or it gives us this illustration of being in a large crowd and people begin to squeeze in on you. You know the way that some of you guys were during Black Friday? You know, you were out there. Two o'clock in the morning. We can't make it a Thursday night. Can I say that, Pastor? Two o'clock in the morning in line over there. And the doors open and there goes everybody rushing in. The crowd. It's that, it's that sort of pressing. And Paul's saying, you feel the pressure on all sides. And you can't do anything to release the pressure. The pressures of life come at you. Life can feel this way sometimes. And, and I think it's important for us, us believers to recognize that. Because sometimes people think, well, if you just serve the Lord, everything's good. You don't have any problems. You go to log in to, your, to pay your electric bill and somebody already paid it. It just happens every month. Another vacation. And, and we act like, it, look, we go through the same things. We feel the pressure. Sometimes you feel it from every side. You're hard pressed. So what's the difference from the believer and the unbeliever then? Here it is. It says you're pressed, but you're not crushed. You're pressed, but you're not crushed. You may feel the pressure, but it won't defeat you. You may be challenged, but it will not defeat you. Why? Because he holds us in the palm of his hand. You feel the pressure, but you don't feel the crushing. Well, what is this talking about? He's talking about the devil took his best shot. He attacked your family. He attacked your finances. And when you get to the other side, you're still standing. You're, you're challenged, but you're not defeated. You feel the pressure, but you're not crushed. This is the difference from the believer and the unbeliever. We face the same pressure, but we don't get crushed. We are still here in the streets i think they say it this way you took a licking but you keep on ticking you feel the pressure but by his mercy you are not crushed and then he goes on to say this number two he says we are perplexed we are perplexed that me this means to be in doubt unsure of what's going on in life you don't know whether to turn left or turn right. You know how it is. You're, you're trying to do everything right. You're here Sunday. You're here midweek. You already downloaded the Secure Give app and you're paying your tithes. You, you, you know what I mean. You're, you're trying to do everything right. And yet... Things happen in life. And you begin to think, God, I'm doing, I'm trying my best. I can't catch a break. I'm really trying. I'm trying to serve you. I'm finally paying. I never did it before. And now I'm finally paying my tithes and I lose my job. I'm finally trying to, to be intentional in my family and, and kids start to rebel. Like, why? You're confused. You're perplexed. 
You're doing, trying to do everything right. Man, you, some of you even went out there and bought the men's raffle ticket for a drill you don't even know how to use. You're welcome, man. I won't say names, but there was a gentleman that behind the table over there saying, hey, buy this raffle ticket, this drill. It, it costs us much. And he's got several of them out there. And I said, brother, which one's the best one here? Which one have you used? Uh, um, I, I don't use a drill. What? You don't, even know which I, you don't even know which one to suggest to me? Like, what? I think this one costs more. Just throw all your tickets in there. <laughs> all right, here we go. Why? We, we just want to support. And, and you do that. You're like, I don't even, I'll probably give this, uh, save it till Christmas and give it as a gift. I just, want to, I just want to give. I want to help. You're trying to do everything. You don't care about a drill. You don't even remember what brand it is anymore. But you're trying to do everything right. And then you ask, after everything happens, why me? You're perplexed. Why is this happening in my family, Lord, when I'm actually trying to serve you? The other brother is not even living right and he's got no problems. You know how it is. You start thinking of all the people who are not living right like you are. They don't even try. They're never even here in midweek and he just got a promotion. This guy, just go, every other Sunday he's at church and when he gets here he's late and he leaves early and he's got brand new car. You start looking at everything else. You're confused. You don't get it. You ever feel that way? He says, we're perplexed. But then he says this. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're not in despair. What does that mean? It means we don't lose hope. We don't lose hope. What does that mean? It means like, I don't, I don't know what God is going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how we're going to be able to pay for that. I already committed to go to that event. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know God's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to do something. See, during these times, during these difficult times, during these perplexing moments, when you really don't know what to do, these worship songs have a deeper meaning. It becomes real to you when you're saying waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and lying in the darkness. It has a more powerful meaning when you need a miracle, when you're waiting on his promises, and when you're walking in the dark. It has a deeper meaning for you. This whole month we've been talking about drawing closer to God. And we've talked about different things, about establishing your prayer life, having a consecrated life. Can I tell you something? It seems to me, uh, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but it seems to me that one of the ways that we draw closest to the Lord is during those difficult times. During those times that we want to avoid... You, you know, those, those moments that you don't like. But then you look back and you say, God got me through that. I've never felt closer to him than when I lost my family member. I, I, I never felt closest to him than when I was struggling in that, with that illness in the hospital. Everything that we want to avoid, it seems in a very strange, perplexing way. That God uses those moments to draw close to us. So uh, in parentheses, can I say right now, if you're going through one of those moments, what's the lesson? What's the, what's the message in the middle of that mess? What's going to be the final testimony in the middle of that test? But it seems that during these difficult moments... Is when we feel closest to him. It reminds me of that image, that painting, famous painting, where you see the shepherd carrying the lamb on his shoulders. And the story behind that painting is that when there's a lamb that continues to stray away from the shepherd, the shepherd will bring him back into the fold countless times. But he continues to walk away. And the story goes that eventually the shepherd picks up the lamb and he'll break one of his legs. 
Now that, if you put them back down, is death. That lamb will never be able to survive. But what he does then is he picks them up and he puts them on his shoulders. And during this time of healing, the lamb spends all this time close to the shepherd. He can't walk away, even if he tried. And during that time, he learns the scent of the shepherd. He learns the voice of the shepherd. He becomes attached with the closeness of the shepherd. In other words, he's beginning to create an intimate relationship with the shepherd. Because as perplexing as it sounds, it's during those broken moments that you seek out the shepherd. It's during those difficult times that you cry out to the Lord like you never have before. You might praise him when you got the raise, but you cry out to him when you lose your job. You might praise him when things are going right, but you go into your prayer closet when your children are talking back. You, you, you celebrate the good moments, but during those broken moments, you reach out and you grab the hand of your spouse and you say, we got to seek the Lord. The things we don't do in the good moments are the things that when it breaks us, that we come to the master. It's perplexing. That during these difficult times, when you're walking in the dark, is when you seek the light. Why? Because in the middle of the darkness, the light shines so brightly. If we turn out all these lights here, and you close all these doors, I guarantee you could still get to the back just because of the small cracks in the door. Because in darkness, you immediately look for the light. And Paul's saying, we may be perplexed. We don't understand. But during these moments, we don't feel despair. Because we have hope. What does that mean? Go with me to the book of Psalms. In chapter 62, verse 5 and 6. It says as follows. Let all... That I am, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Let all that I am, everything that I am, quietly wait before God. For my hope is in Him. Verse 6 says, He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress where I will not be shaken. The significance of this is that the writer is also writing this during a difficult time. We're perplexed, but we don't lose hope. Why is it that we don't lose hope? I look back at his track record. I look back at the track record of the Lord. And I know this isn't the first time I've been visited by perplexity. This is not the first time that perplexity has come knocking on my door. And last time I went through this, he saw me through. Last time I went through this, he took me to the other side. And if it's happening again, I understand. I have the assurance. I have the hope that he's going to do it again. He did it before. He's going to do it again. Number three, verse nine says, we are persecuted. Something I've learned, when people are coming after you, do you feel persecuted? Usually, not always, usually it means that you're doing something right. You know, you're striving to serve the Lord and your family starts to criticize you. They start to talk about you. Especially if you're, if you're new to the things of God. I heard someone tell me one time, my family said that if the church knew how I used to be, they'd kick me out. And, and they want to come and tell you guys how I really am. They're not going to kick you out. You know why? Because most of us were worse than you were before. You think everybody who's born just walking in the straight and narrow... I mean, my, my parents had 12 kids. 
12 kids. Isn't that crazy? And I asked my mama, she'll tell you, I was the only one who behaved right. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> come on. Come on. We don't, we don't act like we've always had it all together. But when you feel persecuted, when family seems to be pointing out, well, you used to do this and you used to do that, and now you act like, you, like, like you're perfect and you've, you've, never, you've never committed any mistakes. When you're feeling persecuted, usually it means that you're doing something right. If I could, if I could challenge you with this thinking, that when you're hearing that, take that as encouragement. This comes, this comes once you... Once you Become more mature in the things of God. But let me give you a shortcut to that. That when you have people criticize you because you're trying to live right, it's a compliment. You learn to take the voice of the enemy and turn it into encouragement. Isn't that crazy already? See, this is what I learned a long time ago. When I'm going through something difficult and I, and, and I, and I hear the voice of the enemy say, this isn't going to work out. At first, you're like, oh, it's not going to work. Wait a minute. That's the voice of the enemy. And the Bible says that he cannot speak truth. So if he's speaking that, then he understands that this is going to be okay. So what he tries to use to discourage me, you turn it around and you use it for encouragement. Oh, devil, you're trying to discourage me because you know I'm going to come out stronger on the other side? Thank you for those words. You're saying that God's not going to heal that person? Thank you for those words because that means God is going to heal that person. You're telling me that I'm not going to make it through, that I'm going to have to give up? Thank you because I know I'm going to make it. I know I'm going to make it through. I am in the palm of the God's hand. And if he said I'm going to make it, it's because I'm going to make it we're persecuted because you're doing something right and the story of Peter walking on water you guys know the story of Peter walking on water he begins to sink when he doubts the Lord poor Peter he gets a bad rap everybody talks about how Peter doubted and he took his focus off the Lord and he started sinking water and shame on him and that's why you can't doubt you start to doubt you just start to sink there's 12 disciples there's one guy who dared to get out of the boat does have you ever heard someone criticize the 11 other guys anybody raise your hand Anybody ever criticize the 11 other guys who stayed in the boat? No. Everybody talks about poor Pedrito who got out of the boat. Shame on Peter. He was walking on water for a little bit and then he started to sink. So immature. So much lack of faith. If he had more faith. There's one guy that got out of the boat who dared to get out of the boat. And when he started to sink... People started criticizing him. Why? Because he dared to do something. So when you start, if you mess up here and there, but you're trying to serve the Lord and you're trying to live right and people are coming and saying, well, you shouldn't have done this and you should have done that. What, what does that mean? You're doing something right. You're, you're going to get criticized when you try to live right. You're going to get people who are trying to nitpick and see, you should have done this and you should have done that. You shouldn't have done that and you should have never been over here. But it's because you're doing something right. As soon as you open up your home for Bible studies, you start inviting your family and your friends. All kinds of people turn up to start talking about you. They were saying nothing before. We used to have parties every weekend. Picking up trash all over on Monday morning because of everything that happened all over the weekend. Waking up in places you don't even know how you got there. I remember I had a coworker who say, man, I had a good time this weekend. Really? What you do? Well, Saturday I don't really remember, but, but, but Sunday was all right. It's like I feel like for like 30 seconds you should have the, when somebody tells you that, you should have the green light to just like give them this. You remember those old V8 commercials? You see somebody, you see somebody eat a Snickers and then somebody comes and just, bam, you should have had a V8. It's like, I, I don't remember, but, but I had a good, you don't even remember what happened. How'd you get home? Well, I don't know. How, who took you there? Oh, I don't, how, you don't know anything, but you had a good time. 
And these are the same people who now you're trying to live right are telling you that you're not doing it right. You just think you're perfect. You think you're, 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 you're holy. You're holier than thou. They turn into King's James Version for some reason. Why? Because you're doing something right. And what would, I, what would I counsel you? What would be my advice? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And the next day, you do it again. And the next week, you do it again. And the pastor was saying earlier, it becomes part of your routine. It becomes a list of your priorities. That when the house of God is open, that you're here. That you bring your family to midweek. That you have a Bible study. That you invite the presence of the Lord into your house on a Monday. Or on a Tuesday or on a Friday. It becomes part of who you are. You begin to invite him. But when people begin to criticize that, it's because you're doing something right. We're persecuted. Yet, if you keep reading, it says, but we are not forsaken. We are not forsaken. You may lose friends, but you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He never leaves us, no matter how difficult life can get. Why? Why? Look at 1 Peter 5, 7. I love this verse. Remember back in the day when you used to memorize scripture? Do it with this one. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Can it get any deeper than that? It's simple. Cast all your cares on him because he cares. This is so simple and sometimes we miss the simplicity of the scripture. That you can cast all your cares on him. Why? He actually cares. I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago and I said, look, if you care about it, then he cares about it. If it's stressing you out, then give it to him. If it's making you lose sleep at night, then cast your cares on him. Because he actually cares. Not two days ago, someone told me, you know what I realized? I realized that when I'm feeling the burdens of life, that I feel heavy, they're not heavy for him. And some of you might say, like, really? That's... That's your profoundness? Is that, that's even a word? How much, you can't get deeper than that? Sometimes we have to stop and, and just think about it. That the burdens that feel so heavy for you are not too heavy for him. That the problems that are too heavy for you are not too heavy for him. And he wants you to cast your cares on him. Did you hear that? I said he cares for you. And look, point number four says we're, we're struck down. We're struck down. Now, the word here struck down is a really cool word. This is the first word I'm sharing with you. This, this word in Greek, is a, it's just cool to say. It's karabalo. Isn't that a cool word? Karabalo. And, and what this means, it's a fighter who gets knocked down to the floor. Think of somebody like in the Colosseum fighting. It's, it's a fighter who gets knocked down. And Paul says, we're struck down. And you're saying, that's supposed to encourage me? A fighter who gets knocked down. Look, if we're honest, in life sometimes, it has a way of knocking us down. The enemy will hit you. He'll knock you down. But... But, can I tell you this? You get knocked down, get back up again. When you get knocked down, get back up again. You gotta get back up again. Look, sometimes we are stubborn for the most insignificant, ridiculous things in life. You're stubborn about silly arguments in the home. You are so stubborn about being right about some things. But then the enemy comes against you and you want to surrender. Where's that fight in you now? 
Where's that fight, that righteous anger that should come with inside of you when the enemy comes against your family, when it comes against your children? Somebody's got to get angry about that. I said, somebody's got to rise up and say, this is not going to happen in my home. I'm not going to allow the spirit in my house. The spirit of rebellion is going to have to leave. Somebody has to rise up and get back up again. Look how Paul puts it in Romans 8, 35 and 36. It says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, he said. I'm convinced there's nothing you're going to do that's going to convince me otherwise. I am sure, I have this assurance that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor other created thing. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. You hear that righteous stubbornness. I don't care what it is. It's not going to separate me from the love of God. I don't care if it's something huge or something small. It's not going to separate me. Tribulation, good times or bad times. I'm going to continue moving forward. I get knocked down. I'm going to get back up again. I'm going to get back up again. We are more than conquerors. Yes, when we're struck down, it hurts. You felt the blow, but you get back up and you get back in that fight. You remember some of you street folk who used to get back up? Well, there were studio of a man and they jumped me, but I took them all down. I don't believe half your stories, but we'll go with it. There was this guy, he was six foot seven, he came at me, he had a bat in his hand, you should have seen how I put that guy, whatever. But then when it comes to the spiritual things, could, could I take a few minutes, maybe 45 seconds, to talk to the men? Men, I really believe that in this time we're living in, we have a shortage of men. I was talking to about a month ago to Brother Mingo, who's Brazil, right? He's still in Brazil. He's in Brazil right now. And this is just mind-boggling. That 80 to 85% of the people who go on mission trips are ladies. They sign up. They have 100 people who sign up. 80 and 85 of them are ladies. 15 of them are young men. When you have a prayer meeting, 80-85% are ladies. When you have a, a, a consecration time, the majority are ladies. Where are our men? I, I, would, I, I pray and I ask the Lord, Lord, put that fight spirit back in our men again. See, when you were growing up, and you, and, and you hear this all the time, well, that young man just had anger issues, or the young man just, you know, he lost his temper really quick. Can I challenge your thinking for a moment and tell you that that is God-given? You mean the anger issues? I'm talking about when you have a sailboat in the ocean, and if you don't have them shifted the right way, the wind can come and destroy that boat in a few seconds, and it sinks to the bottom. But you shift that sail, and it sails down the, down the water at speeds that you can't even catch. The problem is not the wind. The problem is the sail. What does that mean? Is this, is this fight spirit that these young men have is given by God. But we have misdirected it. And you turn around and yell at your wife. And you turn around and you yell at your children. When that fight spirit should rise up inside of you to fight against the enemy of your soul. When you rise up and you get angry and say, enough is enough. This house, we will serve the Lord. In this house, God is king. In this house, his word reigns supreme. Can I I get a man that says from now on I will fight for my family 
that fight spirit. It's inside of you because God has placed it there. Shift the sail and get angry about the right things. Shift the sail and come against the enemy of your family. Shift it. Get angry and do something. We're struck down. I admit we mess up sometimes. And when I fall, fine, I fell. But I'm going to get back up again. The person might say, well, you know what? I, 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 have, I stopped drinking for, for 90 days. It's been four months and I went and I did it again. I feel terrible. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry that you went through that, but start again. Today is day one. And do it again. And you'll get to the 30 days. Well, I already did that and I did it again. Get back up and do it again. Get back up. Every single time we get back up and we do it again. We're struck down. Quickly go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. See, the devil thinks that just because he knocked you down, he's won. But he's got another thing coming. See, he once thought he had defeated Jesus on the cross. But boy, was he mistaken. It says... We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time even began. Verse 8 says, none of the rulers of this age, none of the rulers of this age understood it. Because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew, if the enemy knew as he was probably enjoying the nails on the hands of the Messiah. As he was enjoying and celebrating that the Messiah was risen up on a stick, on a, on a tree, and, and crucified. And he was celebrating that. If he only knew the devastation that was going to bring to the kingdom of darkness. And it's the same thing with you and with me. He knocks you down and he starts to celebrate like if he wants something. But I got some news for the devil this morning. That when we fall down, we get back up. Because we are conquerors. We are victorious. He has paid the price on Calvary for you to be a winner and not a loser. We will get back up again. He was mistaken then and he's mistaken now. That song that the praise team sings every now and again, it says, the devil thought he had me. They'll start dancing all at once. The song says, the devil thought he had me. And then it says, Simply, but God, but God, he hits you, he knocks you down, he starts to celebrate and doesn't realize that was just round one, baby. I'm coming right back at you all over again. He should have killed you when he had the chance. I said he should have killed you when he had the chance. But here you are. You're still standing. You're still praising. You're still marching forward. He thought he had you, but we're still here. I said we're still here. And there's somebody that's still here declaring that this year is going to be victorious because they're going to serve God with everything inside. Let me give you a revelation here. Uh, that, that book you carry around, that Holy Bible, I've read it. I've read it to the very end. And guess what? At the very end, we win. I said, I've read it. At the end, we win. At the end of the fight, the referee stands there and he lifts your hand and declares you the winner. As he says, well done, my good and faithful servant as musicians come up you might feel you've been knocked around lately I want to remind you if I could just remind you we are victorious we are more than conquerors where we stand we may feel challenged, but we're not defeated. We may go through some things, but we will win. I want you to have a not give up spirit 
this morning. That, and if you're not going through something tough, strengthen yourself now. Because it's not if life happens, but when. And we have this assurance. We have this understanding. We have this hope. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But he would be with us even until the end of time. At this moment, I want to open this altar. If you're going through some difficult moments in life. And you want this assurance. You want this certainty. This belief. God can give that to you today before you go home. At one time, there was this man that came to Jesus with a need. And Jesus said, do you believe? He said, very honestly, he said, I, I do, but help my unbelief. That was honesty. That was admitting, like, I, I, I want to have faith, but, but sometimes I struggle with that. Sometimes somebody else's faith can discourage us. Like, how are they so sure and I'm so doubtful? And this man standing before the Lord himself says, Lord, I believe you, but help my unbelief. I want you to go home today being sure that God is with you. Having that assurance that even though we don't always do the right thing, we don't always say the right thing. That you are still victorious. That God is bigger than your mistake. Can I say that one more time? God is bigger than your mistake. The, the love and the blood of Jesus is more powerful than your sin. If not, I'll flip it for a moment and say, is your sin more powerful than the blood of Jesus? How arrogant of us to say that my sin is too big for him. But there's nothing that you could do that can outweigh the love of God. And so if you've messed up in life, if you haven't always done it right, Welcome, because neither have any of us. We're just like you. The only difference is we've given it to Him. So I want to invite you to come to this altar.